Tonight I want to talk to you about the unpardonable sin. Now it's not sexy, it's not exciting, but we got to talk about it because Jesus talked about it. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus said these words, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven of men, except the blasphemy of the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Jesus said, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. You can take the Lord's name in vain all day, every day. GD, Jesus Christ, and if you're repentant, Jesus said, that sin will be forgiven. In fact, all sins will be forgiven, except a sin against the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, that will not be forgiven. Listen to these words. In this life, or the life to come. We need to look at what Jesus said about the unpardonable sin. Let's get this out of the way really quick. The unpardonable sin is not being a Dallas Cowboys fan, all right? Let's just get that off the table real quick. It's a heinous sin, but God can forgive that. Jesus, as you know, was a master teacher. The Bible says the multitudes followed him. Obviously, he was healing diseases and so forth and so on. But at the end of the day, Jesus, it says, taught unlike the religious leaders of the day. He taught with power and authority. He taught like he had been on the other side, and he had, right? He was all of man, all of God. But Jesus was very practical in his teaching. He didn't sit around all the time talking about esoteric things or things of the spirit or deep things. He talked about very practical things that applied to people's everyday lives. We forget this. We all love deep spiritual truths. We love to talk about, you know, some of the complex things of the Bible and theology. But at the end of the day, we got to get up and go to work. We got to send our kids to college. We got to pay our bills. And on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about very practical things like anger and lust and forgiving one another and taking care of parents. But every once in a while, he would throw a zinger out. Uh, How about this one? He said, one day I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Wow. Imagine throwing that out in a Bible study at your home every once in a while. Imagine sitting around a campfire like, hey, can we talk about this a little more? That sounds really interesting. Or Jesus said, um, in heaven, uh, we're neither going to marry or be given to marriage. For some of you, that's real good news. Others, not so good news. But we're going to be like the angels. Wow, can we talk about that for a while? Are we going to go in and out of rooms? Are we going to be able to fly? Are we going to be invisible? I mean, what's it going to be like to be like the angels? Then Jesus said hard things, right? Not hard to understand, but hard to accept. Like it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get in heaven? Man, even Peter said, "Uh, Lord, you know, we give up lands and houses and things like that. Peter wasn't even a rich guy, right? Peter couldn't even pay his taxes. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And so one day Jesus throws out this idea that there's a sin that even God can't forgive. That there's a sin so vile, so heinous, that it's outside of the bounds of God's grace and forgiveness. The work Jesus did on the cross. What is the unpardonable sin? And have any of us committed it? To understand what Jesus said, we have to figure out what sin is, because we don't talk about it in our culture, right? 
In the dominant culture, people have moral failures, a lapse of reason. We don't use the word at all. Even in the church, the clearest definition we use, I hear it all the time, is missing the mark. Doesn't sound that bad, right? Uh, I just missed the mark yesterday. No big deal. But if you look in the garden, God creates a garden, a world, where he gave the first human beings everything. Abundance. They could eat of all the trees of the garden. It was plentiful. Look at Longwood Gardens. Look at the abundance of this planet. God gave them everything with one restriction. God's a good parent. He gave them one boundary, one border. He said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. See, love demands a choice. And for the choice to be valid, it must be an equal choice. So I believe that tree was wonderful. Listen to what God said. In the day you eat of it, in the day you sin, you will surely die. Sin, at its core, brings death. Look what happened to the human race. If you really want to think about it, the second sin in the Bible seems to be worse than the first. Cain kills Abel. Murder takes a life. And yet it's this first sin that's the most grievous of all. It changed the entire planet. Changed the animal kingdom. Changed how you and I live. Adam, with now thorns and thistles, will take fruit from the ground. Eve, uh, pain and childbearing. Uh, I'm looking forward to the world that God's going to remake, right? Uh, Isaiah talks about the millennial kingdom, the lion's going to lie down with the wolf, and little kids are going to play in viper's den. It's going to be a whole new world. We don't live in that world right now. We live in a fallen, lost world. I remember my daughter was 18, and uh, we scrounged up enough money to take my family to California. And that was her present for graduating high school, and my youngest was five at the time. And so we did everything you would do in California. We went to Disney World and SeaWorld. And we had a great day at SeaWorld, right? They had Shamu, the killer whale, who when you went to SeaWorld did all these tricks and he was so friendly. And we got my daughter a a little stuffed Shamu and it was wonderful. And this is a true story I'm not making up. The next day, we go down for breakfast in a hotel. And we're in a buffet line and we sit down and they had TVs everywhere. And I don't know who engineered this 9 o'clock in the morning But they had like one of these animal planet shows on where, I don't know if it was turtles or uh, sea lions, you can correct me later, where they would go to this island, have all their babies, the babies would grow up, and they would start to venture out into the ocean to swim, and in three feet of water, killer whales would show up and literally eat them by the bucket loads, and then put them on their fins and throw them in the air, and they would smack down and die. And here we were at SeaWorld showing my daughter this wonderful world where everyone gets along and the next day a fallen world. That's what sin does. It destroys. It brings forth death. You know what else sin does? It makes us run. You see, Adam and Eve weren't repentant when they sinned. They ran. They made fig leaves. They were afraid of the God who they walked with every day in the cool of the garden. The God who had given them everything, they were now running from. That's what sin does. It makes us run. It destroys. The wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve sinned against great light. They had great parents. They had no parents. God was their parent. They couldn't look back and blame 
any of their actions on dysfunctionalism or anything you and I can do. They lived in a perfect world. They sinned against great light. But guess what? It wasn't the unpardonable sin. God forgave their sin. Not only did God forgive their sin, God killed an animal and covered them with skins. So disobedience of God at a grand scale was not the unpardonable sin. But the Bible moves on and we get to Noah's generation. Just three chapters later. Genesis chapter 6 where God looked at the earth and said that the earth was so wicked and so vile he was sorry he had made man. That every thought and intent of his heart, not his actions, every thought and intent of his heart was only evil continuously. And God said, I'm going to wipe out man on the face of the earth. And he asked Noah to build an ark. And Noah builds an ark. And Noah and his family and all the animals are in the ark. It rains for 40 days and 40 nights. And Noah comes out of that ark. And we all know what he does. He gets drunk. Now, most times when I teach this, I say, I don't blame him. But I get a lot of emails, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but come on, you build an ark for 100 years, set aside your life? Stinky, smelly animals, uh, 40 days with your family, you think quarantine was bad? I mean, think about Noah's job, right? He gets drunk, and yet God forgives. And God forgives the world. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. God doesn't give up on the human race. Drunkenness wasn't the unpardonable sin. Wickedness wasn't the unpardonable sin. Sexual you know, debauchery wasn't the unpardonable sin. Nothing in Genesis chapter 6. And then God calls Abraham. He's going to be the father of many nations. He's going to be the father that would birth the nation of Israel. But Abraham lies. So that's not the unpardonable sin. And then the judges come along, and they're sinners. And David commits adultery, and he's a murderer. And that's not the unpardonable sin. We get to the New Testament. And Jesus' last interaction with a human being on the cross is two thieves. The Bible says they reviled him. If you're the son of God, if you are the person you say you are, come down off that cross. But finally, the one thief, we call him the repentant thief, says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said words, that are just hard to believe. He said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be the first one in. A man who would never get baptized, never walk an altar, never given an offering, never do one benevolent act, would be the first man in heaven. A man who had lied and stole all his life had not committed the unpardonable sin. By the way, I don't know if you know this. Do you know for that thief to come to salvation, he had to do everything you and I had to do? You probably never thought about this. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How did he know Jesus was the savior of the world? Jesus said seven things on the cross. You see, in the beginning it says they both reviled him. They both were lost. They were both equally far away from Jesus. But all of a sudden faith came by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He heard these seven words on a cross, and faith began to move on this man. He read Scripture. You're thinking, Pastor Bob, he read Scripture. His hands were tied to a cross. What was written above Jesus' cross? 
Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That scripture, look in your Bible, it's in Matthew. Pilate put it there, and there was enough there for him to come to Christ. He had to overcome peer pressure of the other thief. Just like you have to overcome peer pressure of friends and family and loved ones, he had to say, Lord, you are the king of the Jews. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. And those very few words, God forgave his sin. Never committed the unpardonable sin. The apostle Paul writes a third of the New Testament, but he was on his way to kill Christians. A murderer, false zeal, religious zeal. Religion kills, it really does a lot of the time. But God forgave that sin. And so all these sins were forgiven. None of them were the unpardonable sin. So what's the unpardonable sin? I want to read you a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that's one of my favorite in all of Scripture. It's from the Apostle Paul, and it speaks to our human condition Paul says this, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, it's all sexual deviance in, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Of God. I thought none of those sins were the unpardonable sin. Listen to the next verse. But such were some of you. Such were some of you. Actually, such were all of you. But listen to this. But you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. You see, when we look at the unpardonable sin, we always go to the negative. We do that in life all the time. We never go to the positive. But you want to hear the positive of what Jesus said? All manner of men will be forgiven. Wow, that's good news. That's the good news we preach. If you're on the lawn tonight, that's good news. Any sin you've ever committed will be forgiven. How do I know? Paul just gave us categories. By the way, if your category's not there, you still fit in, Okay. Maybe you were prideful. Maybe you were the righteous religious person beating your breast. I've worked all my life. I pay my taxes. There's a category for you, okay? But that's all forgiven. Why? Because you were washed, you were cleansed, you were made whole. Whenever I meet folks, have them for dinner, they have me over for dinner, the first thing I say is, tell me your story. Tell me your story. I'm I'm just blown away how God can reach into a human heart. And uh, some are wild, some are crazy, some are ordinary. Some I remember more than most. One I'll never forget is the Bowery Mission down in Soho, Manhattan, New York City. Uh, The Bowery Mission was started by Charles Spurgeon's brother. Turn of the century, immigrants, very poor, would line up, hear a gospel message, they would be fed. And uh, so we've been working in New York for the last 15 years. And a lot of times when we were working in the Bronx, with uh, House on Beacon, we would take a group over to the Bowery Mission and we would be the worship band or we would preach. 
And then we would go in and we would talk with the people there and just a great outreach. And you guys are familiar with that kind of ministry. So one night I'm sitting down with the director. He's in his 70s. And I said, how did you come to faith? He said, Bob, I was riding the subways one night, strung out on cocaine. Hadn't eaten in three days. Took a subway to the Bowery, saw a line, got in line for a meal. Heard nothing the preacher said. Didn't even listen to the worship songs. I looked up on the wall and I saw one scripture. And I remembered a Sunday school teacher who taught me that scripture. And I walked that aisle and gave my heart to Christ. And five years later, I was running this mission. See, that's what God does. There is no sin higher than his grace and what he can forgive. Paul, a murderer, writes a third of the New Testament. There's not many noble, not many righteous. So if all manner of sin is forgiven, why did Jesus tell us about the unpardonable sin? And what is it? In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus taught a series of kingdom parables. He said the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure in a field. Went and sold everything he had to buy that field. The kingdom of God is like a merchant, a pearl merchant, who found a pearl of great price and went and sold everything he had to buy that pearl. Now, we all get the gist of those parables. A man finds a treasure in a field, right? Anybody find a treasure in a field lately? <laughs> right? This isn't the Count of Monte Cristo where we're looking for treasures in fields, right? Like, what's going on here? Well, today we have banks and stock markets, and you can even put the money under your mattress, right? But in that day, if you got your hands on money, you couldn't trust anybody. You couldn't trust the Romans. You couldn't trust anyone. So you would go out literally, and some of your relatives, I bet you did this during the Depression, you would dig a hole and put your money or your treasure there. And remember, money, coinage, was just starting to come into being. So treasure was gold and silver and and those type of things. And so people would die and they would forget about that treasure. And Jesus said there's a time where you're walking by and all of a sudden out of nowhere, you find a treasure. Now, the Jews, I'll paraphrase this, when you found lost things, it was finders, keepers, losers, weepers. It's in the Bible. Go look for it, but it's there. The Romans, however, Roman law required you buy the field. So this man finds a treasure, sells everything he has to buy this field. What's Jesus talking about? Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God and salvation, there's really two things going on. Most of the time, we stumble on it accidentally. I want you to think about this. Most of the time, we find it in the ordinary places of life. So for me, it was 1982 on a college campus. I was an All-American basketball player, had my life set before me. Everything was grand, had a few problems like everybody else, but life was pretty good. And one day I needed help in a computer class, and a gentleman helped me, and we walked out of the dorm, and there were 15 people huddled around a TV watching the day after. It was a mini-series, kind of like we have series today on Netflix and such about what would happen the day after nuclear war. And we started watching it, and he said, you know, this isn't how it's going to happen. This is 1982. I'm like, what? And he said, no, 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 no. Did you ever read the Bible? 
And I'm like, no, I went to 12 years of Catholic school, never read the Bible. And he started to show me things in the book of Daniel and prophecies about the European community and the end of the world and Israel back in the land. And my mind was blown. Went home that night, called my girlfriend, who's my wife now. And that whole week, he never pestered me. He gave me the Gospel of John. He said, read it every day. Read one chapter. That Friday night, I became a Christian and never looked back. I didn't think I was looking for God. I think I was. Because you see, that's what sin does. It makes you run from God. And many of us were running. I'm in New York City a lot, man. Those people are running fast from God. Most people in New York City aren't from New York City. They come from Kansas and Wichita and Spokane and and they leave the way they were raised to go live a life where all restrictions are gone. That's what people are doing today. They're running from God. You know what God's doing while they're running? Chasing. That's what he did with Adam in the garden. Adam, where art thou? That's what God did in the book of Jonah. That's what God did with Paul. That's what God did with everyone on this lawn. God was chasing you and you never knew it. And then one day, accidentally, in an ordinary field, we heard the gospel. And the second thing that parable teaches us is life is never the same. I have yet to meet the person when I say, tell me your story. They said, you know what? One day I heard the gospel message. I accepted Christ and it was great and uh, kind of moved on with my life. Just a little check mark and I was done. No, when you find forgiveness and the true gospel, it is a revolution. The man went and sold all that he had to buy that field. I knew the day I accepted Christ, my life would never be the same and it hasn't. I knew there were things I would give up. There was places God would take me that I had never planned. Everyone on this lawn could probably tell the same story. I was forgiven. And not only was I forgiven, I was given a brand new life. Because all manner of sin is forgiven. Right from this stage, this summer, Jesse Green, one of the best evangelists, young evangelists on the planet, told you she had two abortions. Forgiven. Matt Mayer, vehicular homicide, one of the best 30-year-old preachers in the area, forgiven. Ryan Reese, (laughs) if you read his book, he has so many sins, we can't talk about it. Forgiven. But we got this dangling, unpardonable sin that'll never be forgiven. I want to leave you with this tonight, and I really want you to hold on to it. That parable can be read another way. When we found Christ, he was our treasure. Really was. Our lives were changed. We were forgiven. It's beautiful. But I want you to leave here tonight to know this. Whatever you're going through and wherever you're at, that you are God's treasure. You are God's treasure. Even in your sin and in your running from God, you were his treasure. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. 2,000 years of a plan of redemption that whoever would believe on him would have eternal life and never perish, never have the wages of sin be death in their life. 
In eternity past, and while time was going on, you were God's treasure. And God paid the ultimate price and died for our sins and covered them all. So what is the unpardonable sin? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, if you look at the chapter, we don't have time to get into it, is they were saying that what Jesus was doing was through the power of the devil, healing people and doing things on the Sabbath day. They said that was through the power of the devil. The religious leaders said that the activity of God was actually the activity of the devil. That is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And then those men committed that. But the unpardonable sin in our day is to take your final breath and never accept the ultimate forgiveness that God has given you. The unpardonable sin is indifference. To run from God and stiff-arm God and say, I want nothing to do with you, is the unpardonable sin. And God will honor your choice. And Jesus said, in this life, the life to come. That's another one of those zingers, the life to come. A life beyond this life, a life beyond the grave, life after life. So many people are counting on a second chance, a purgatory, a holding tank. So many people are looking for, well, I never knew, right? Voltaire, Nietzsche, what are you going to do if, you know, these were atheists, profound philosophers. What are you going to do if you die and you actually find out there was a God? And then they say flippantly, well, I guess he'll forgive us. That's his job. That's indifference. That's stiff-arming God. Or God didn't give me enough evidence. The thief on the cross, Jesus Christ, king of the Jews, that was his evidence. There is a God who loves you. You are his treasure. And he just wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to open the door of your heart that he might come in and dine with you. He wants to call you by name. He wants to lead you and guide you because you are his treasure. But that takes what the thief on the cross did. Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Any other way you want to phrase it is fine with me. You don't need the four spiritual laws. You don't need the prayer in the back of a book. Any way you want to phrase it is, Lord, I'm a sinner. Remember me. And the Bible says you will be forgiven and eternity is yours. When Jesus mentioned the life to come, it's important because the entire Bible talks about an afterlife, life after life, where there really are two places. One is heaven, one is hell. There's no other way to cut it. Jesus talked about hell more than anybody in the Bible. C.S. Lewis was brilliant, and some people struggle with Lewis's concept of hell because I think they really don't understand it. But Lewis, in his brilliance, said hell is an everlasting ruin, a decay, a crumbling. Listen to this, a retreat into yourself, a loss of all rationality and joy, a plunging into misery. But it's a self-plunging. It's a gnawing and an ache. It's oriented inward, downward into an abyss. Lewis said the doors of hell are locked from the inside. It's our choice. It is, in one sense, the opposite of heaven. Heaven is the ever-increasing, further up, further into enjoy, into God, into life. Hell is the opposite of that. It's an everlasting movement 
away from God. You're either running from God tonight or you're running to him. As believers, we go through a lot of things. Life's not easy. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, and we run to him. But some of you are running from him. And tonight could be your night. In a few minutes, I'm going to get in this pool, and we'll have our final baptism of the summer. If you miss it, don't worry about it. We have a little pool over there. We'll take care of you. We have bathtubs, swimming pools. It's okay. But I want to end tonight the way I end every sizzling summer night by saying if you've never known Jesus Christ in a real and powerful way, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about the way you were raised. I'm not talking about giving in an offering. I'm not talking about reading a book. I'm talking about a real relationship with God where Jesus said, come all you who are thirsty and I will give you rest. If you've never made that decision, the worship team's going to play behind me. And we're going to have pastors and leaders down here. And if you walk down the aisle, people will clap for you because the Bible says in heaven the angels are rejoicing. We'd love to see you make that decision.